Hey, uh, glad that you are here this morning. Uh, I tell you, this is what I want you to do. Um, I want you to, uh, to look around, and I want you to look for someone who's on vacation this week, and I want you to resent them right now, that, they're, that they get to be at the beach and you don't. And then the second thing I want you to do is I want you to look around, and I want you to f- look for someone who you know they're not on vacation, but they're not here today because we think they're on vacation. And I want you just to call them this week and say, hey, not in a mean way at all, not really mean. Um, just because if I called them, I might be mean, but you're not going to be mean because you're nice. Just call them and say, hey, missed you at church Sunday. It was awesome. They did this new song, and Sherry played the piano like a honky-tonk piano player, and it was awesome. You should have been there, all right? So I uh, do that this week. Hey, glad that you're here. We're, uh, we're continuing the series of messages that we started a few weeks ago called Supplement, and, uh, and it's based on a, a verse that I'm going to read to you in just a little bit in Second Peter. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open to Second Peter. If you've got a Bible on your phone, go ahead and pull that up. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. I'm going to read that in just a minute. And, and, and in these verses, we'll read it in a minute, but Peter is reminding us to supplement our faith, to add things to our faith uh, so that our faith can be all that it can be. But I want to read to you, uh, we, we read the first four verses the very first week, but I want to read the first verse of Second Peter again to you, Second Peter 1.1, because remember, this, this letter that Peter has written, now Peter was Jesus' right-hand man, and, and, uh, and Jesus has now left earth and gone back to heaven, and Peter is, is kind of in charge of the church. And Peter, when he writes this letter, he's been arrested. So he's writing it from a prison cell in Rome, and he's been arrested for, for, for preaching the gospel. And he's writing it to people who are followers of Jesus. He's writing it to encourage them because it's a very difficult time to live as a follower of Jesus because you lived in a, in a country in Rome where, where you could be arrested for doing what we're doing here this morning. And so Peter is writing this to encourage them and, and, and to tell them things. And, and there's something in verse 1 that I want to point out to you this morning. It says this, and starting with verse 1. It says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith, now listen to this, of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I wanted you to hear this because I want you to understand something about following Jesus. Peter wrote this. Now, think about who Peter was. The people who who knew Peter back in that time and the people that were receiving this letter, this is what they thought of when they thought of Peter. He was the guy that spent more personal one-on-one time with Jesus than anybody else that ever lived. He was the guy that, that stood up on the day of Pentecost that you can read about in the, in the second chapter of Acts. He stood up and he preached a message and 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus Christ that moment and were baptized immediately. He was the guy that was so powerful in the church that the Roman government was so afraid of him that they threw him in prison. And so I'm sure that there were people in the church that looked at Peter and they thought, he is, he's the ultimate in holiness. He's the ultimate in righteousness. My faith could never be as great as the faith of Peter. And what does Peter say in chapter 1, verse 1? Peter says that he's writing this letter to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so what Peter's telling them, he's saying, listen, I, I've done a lot of great things but your faith, 
the fact that you depend on Jesus to have saved you, the, the fact that you have sinned and your only hope is Jesus, that your faith is just as great as my faith. And I want to tell you that today. Because tomorrow morning, you're going to get to do something that I don't get to do. You're going to get to go into a workplace surrounded by people who don't know Jesus. You're going to get to, to manage a staff, and chances are, many of those folks on your staff, they don't know Jesus. And when you go into that situation, I want you to understand that your faith is just as strong as even the faith of Peter. Because I know what happens is you look at, at someone who's on this stage, you look at someone who's standing here playing a guitar and singing, or someone who is bringing a message, and you think, wow, they've got it all together. Their faith is super strong. I, maybe Donnie can supplement his faith with all these things we're talking about. Maybe Cliff can supplement his faith with all these things we're talking about, but not me, because I'm just a regular, everyday person. I haven't been to school and learned all those big words that Cliff knows and all that kind of stuff. And all, you know, I don't sit around all day and study the Bible like, like that's what I do all the time. But, but you, you know, that, that's what you think sometimes. And I want you to understand that your faith is of equal standing even with the Apostle Peter. Your faith is of equal standing even with the Apostle Paul, with the greatest Christians, with Billy Graham, with the greatest Christians you've ever thought about. Your faith is of equal standing of theirs. Why? Because you've been saved by Jesus. You've been saved by the cross, and that's your only hope. All right? So let's continue talking about what we're going to talk about today. Let's go to 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7. Let me read these verses to you again to remind you of where we're going. Paul, uh, Peter says this, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So we've been talking about this for a few weeks now, and we've talked about what it means to supplement your faith with virtue, and knowledge, and self-control, and steadfastness, and today we're going to talk about what does it mean to supplement your faith with godliness. And this is what I want to do to start. I want you to turn to two or three people around you, and I want you to tell them someone that you know personally that you think, or, or maybe, maybe you don't know anyone personally, so someone that you know of that you think is godly. One of the godliest people you know, I want you to tell, this, tell them, this person I think is the godliest person I know, and here is why I think they're so godly. So go ahead and do that right now. I'm going to give you like a minute and a half. Go. All right. Did anybody have the uh, audacity to say yourself? I hope you didn't. Well, I'm pretty godly. Did anyone try to make their husband or wife feel better by saying, you're the most godly person I know? Did anybody do that? Raise your hand. Don't be embarrassed. You should be embarrassed because I would make fun of you if you did that. Gary Wilson, you didn't do that, did you? No? All right, good. Diane's godly, though, Gary. Don't, don't take, get me wrong there. Um, who, what, what, who was somebody? What was somebody? Who, what'd you say? Somebody shout something out. Your brother and sister? Cool. Your mother? Yeah, mama's, mamas are awesome, aren't they? My mama's here today. She's extremely godly. I just put the pressure on her. She's got to be good the rest of the day because I said that. Daddy, she better treat you good or I'm going to hear about it. Anybody else? 
grand, yeah, granddaddies and grandmamas. We can't even hardly think of granddaddies and grandmamas as not being godly. Some of you are like, you didn't know my granddaddy. He was very ungodly, right? But, but you, most of the time, we really think about our grandparents as being godly. Here, here's why I wanted you to do that. Because I think that godliness is, is an almost impossible word for us to define. I mean, I really do. And I think that all of us have a different idea of what it means to be godly. And because when I was reading through this list when, several, several months ago when we, when we decided we were going to do a series of messages on these verses, I started reading through these, these, uh, these words and starting to kind of make some notes and think ahead. And I remember I got to godliness and I thought, well, how do you preach on godliness? It seems like all this stuff is godliness, isn't it? And, and what really is godliness? Because it's one of those words that we don't really know what it means. I mean, if you describe someone as trustworthy, if I came up to you today and I said, here's this friend of mine, he's the most trustworthy person I know. Everybody in here immediately understands what trustworthy means. If I were to say, you know, th- this guy in here is, is, uh, is, is the most intelligent person I know, everybody in here immediately knows what that means. But if I said this guy is the godliest person I know. We all have different ideas about what it means really to be godly. When I think of godliness, and uh, I started thinking about this the other day, I think of old, quiet, and serious. That's the things that come to my mind. If someone's old, quiet, and serious, well, they must be godly, which that's, a, that's not true, and that's a terrible thing for me because I'm not old yet. I'm getting there. I'm not quiet and I'm not serious, so I must be extremely ungodly if that's my definition of godliness is old, quiet, and serious. But, and, but so I think a lot of us, when we think of godliness, we, a lot of it comes to thinking about good works and good attitude and that kind of stuff, and that is part of it. That's part of what godliness is. But really, godliness even goes beyond good works. Godliness even goes beyond a good attitude. Now, godliness will show up in your behavior. If, if, you're, if you're supplementing your faith with godliness like we're talking about today, your behavior should be different. It's like, uh, and I know I'm going to get this wrong but with the, uh, because it's a math thing, and y'all know I'm terrible at math, but there was a geometry, there was a saying in geometry, it was like a rectangle can be a square, but a square can't be a rectangle, or, or, or a rectangle is always... A, y'all remember that? Does anybody else remember that other than me? It had something to do with one being one and one being another. Um, he, here's the deal with godliness that's kind of like that. Someone can do works and not be godly. Someone can do good works and not be a godly person. Uh, You can do some good things and it doesn't make you godly. But someone who is godly is going to do good works. It is going to show up in their life. But again, like I said, it's more than good works. The the only way that I could think of to describe it, I I thought about uh, about this time last year, our our oldest daughter Emily, who was up here a while ago uh, singing, um, she was getting ready to go off to college. And so... Uh, and she, she goes to, to Charleston Southern University, so it's about 200 miles from here. And I was thinking about the fact that she's going to be going off to school, going away, and living by herself. And, uh, you know, all, that was all those fears you have as a parent of did I prepare her for that and all that kind of stuff. And, and so I, I took some time before she left, and I started thinking through what did I want her to know about her freshman year of college? What did I want her to know about what was coming up? And so I took some time to write some of that stuff down. And, and one of the things that I put in that it's kind of an overall idea. As I told her, first and foremost, remember that you are a student. You are going down there to be a student. And the reason I wanted her to know that was when you get to college, there's all kinds of things you can do. 
Some of them good, some of them not good. And, you, and all kinds of opportunities you have. And she had, she, I knew that she was going to have lots of opportunities. If someone heard her play and sing, there was going to be some guy at a church like me who would say, hey, do you want to do that every single week and lead our band? That's, that's the way guys like me operate. We hear someone like that and we want them to do it immediately. And so she would have that opportunity. She would have an opportunity to volunteer. She'd have, she'd have all kinds of good opportunities. But the thing that I wanted her to remember was that all those opportunities, the only reason they are there is because you're here as a student. That's the, that's the big overall picture is you are a student and you've got to remember overall you're a student and then there's other good opportunities that will grow out of that but remember first and foremost you're a student. Now I put some, some specific advice in there like get plenty of sleep, study hard, don't miss class, you know, all the things that I did not do when I was down there at school. And, I, and so I told her to do all those things. But really, if you will remember overall that you're a student, you should get a lot of sleep and you should study hard and you shouldn't miss class. If you can remember, first and foremost, I'm a student. That's why I'm here. To me, that's what godliness is. Godliness is this big overarching quality that we're supposed to have in our lives that we're supposed to remember overall that we belong to God. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are his. You are his child and that should overarch, that should, should have, should have an overreaching emphasis into everything that you do in life. It's the umbrella that covers all of that. So if you are supplementing your faith with godliness, then things like supplementing your faith with virtue, which we've all already talked about, supplementing your faith with knowledge, supplementing your faith with steadfastness and self-control, those things should become easier if you are doing godliness, if you are remembering that you're his. That's the overall idea that the other things should grow out of. And so when I think today about godliness, it is hard to define. And I'm not going to attempt to define it. I'm not going to try to tell you these three things are what makes you godly. But as I thought about it, I, I did try to think of what are some, what are some qualities that if we are supplementing our faith with godliness, there should be some big type of qualities that we're trying to recognize in our life that God is doing in our life and that we should be seeing in our life. And, and there's two of them. And the first one I want to tell you is this. If we're supplementing our faith with godliness, we should begin to have a sense of God's presence. We should begin to have a sense of God's presence. Now, um, I grew up in church like a, a lot of you did. And so... I grew up all the time hearing that God is everywhere. God is everywhere at one time. And the big fancy word for that, that if you want to you know, impress your friends next time you're playing Jeopardy with them, is omnipresent. That's the big fancy theological word. It just, and all that means is God's everywhere at one time. You know, the, the scripture says that, that where two or three people are gathered together in the name of Jesus, it says that God's right there in the middle of it. Well, guess what? That means he's right here. But guess where else he is? He's right down here at Washington Baptist Church. He's just as much there as he is here. He's at Springwell Church. He's just as much there as he is here. He's at Fairview Baptist Church. He's at Memorial Methodist. He's at First Presbyterian Greer. He's at all of those places today. And guess where else he is? He's in the house with the guy who got so drunk last night that he didn't feel like getting up and coming to church this morning. He's there too. God is everywhere at one time. That there is God's presence is everywhere. The, uh, the, uh, David wrote in Psalm 139, this is what David wrote about that. He said, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I free, flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which is an old Hebrew word for hell, you are there. 
If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Now, we, if you grew up in church like I did, you grew up knowing that. And you would, if I were to walk in today and ask you, hey, where is God? You would probably say, well, he's everywhere. He's here, but he's other places too. And we know that in our heads. But if we are growing in godliness, if we are supplementing our faith in godliness, at some point, that goes from being just knowledge to where it becomes a real part of your life and it becomes something that you can sense, something that you know, and it's deeper than just knowledge. It's hard to explain. In, uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, the same thing is said in Deuteronomy 31.6. God says this, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. So he's everywhere, he's with you. But here's the thing about that, when that was said in Deuteronomy 31.6. Let me tell you what was going on there. You had the, the Israelites who had been slaves in Egypt, and it was terrible there. And Moses showed up, and Moses helped, get, helped them get their freedom. He was the one who went to Pharaoh. He was the one who, who was in communication with God. He was the one who, who made sure that, the, that, uh, that everybody was organized when it was time to leave. He led them across the sea out of there. He led them across the desert. He led them for 40 years in the desert. And when this was said in Deuteronomy 31, this was said at the time that Moses was about to die. And so Moses had gathered the Israelites together, and he's telling them, listen, I'm about to leave. I'm old. My breathing is slow. I can't get around anymore. I'm about to be gone. I'm, I'm not going to be with you when you take your next important steps. You're about to take the steps into the promised land, which God has told us we would have, and I'm not going to be with you to do it. I've got a guy coming up behind me. He's young. I've trained him. He's going to be in charge now, and I just want you to know that I'm about to leave. So if there was ever a time that the Israelites needed to not only know that God's presence was real, but to feel that, to sense God's presence was real, it was now. And look at what Moses says to them. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to the, their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear do not be dismayed. See, this was going from knowledge to something that was real. They were about to live it out. They were about to walk on ahead without their leader, and they had to know, they had to sense God's presence. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life, in fact, I, one time in particular I'll tell you about, um, there's been times when I've asked God that I said, God, I need to feel you. I need to know that you're here. Uh, there was a time when I was, we had just started the church, and I was getting ready to, to uh, I, I had a meeting coming up that day, and, and maybe none of you have ever been in these kinds of meetings. But this is a meeting coming up that I knew that at this meeting, I was going to get my tail chewed on a little bit by somebody. And um, maybe y'all have never been in those meetings. And, uh, or maybe you're the one that's doing the tail chewing in your meeting, and you need to pray for God's presence too. But, but I knew that was coming up. And so I was sitting on the porch of our house, and I was sitting there praying, and I, and I remember saying this, and it was the first time in my life I'd ever said this. And I prayed, and I, told, I, I said, God, I know that you're here, and I know that you're going to be there today when I go into this meeting, but if you can, I want to feel you in that meeting. 
I want to sense your presence. I want to know that you're there. I want it to be more than just something I know in my brain. And let me tell you what happened. I got my tail chewed on in that meeting, but I felt the presence of God. Didn't mean I enjoyed the tail chewing, but it meant that when I was going through that, I knew that I wasn't alone. And I knew that, that God was right there with me, and I, I could sense his presence. And there might be things that you need to do that in your life. There might be times when, when you need to say, God, I know what the Bible says. I know that it says that you're real, but today I need to feel you. I'm coming up on something and I need to sense, I need to feel your presence. I need to know you're real. And if you are growing in godliness, there are going to be more and more often, there are going to be days when you feel, you sense the presence of God. Now, it won't be every day. In fact, there's a whole book of the Bible about a guy who was one of the godliest men on the face of the earth. And, and he, he got to a point where he didn't feel the presence of God at all. His name's Job. And I was reading this week, and when you get to Job chapter 30, I'm not going to read it to you, but go home today. Write down Job 30 in your notes and go home today and read it. When you get to Job chapter 30, Job pretty much tells God, he says, I feel abandoned. I don't, I don't, know, I, I, I don't know that you're here anymore. I don't feel your presence anymore. I feel like I'm all alone. That's what he tells God, a very honest prayer. But then in Job 31, the very next chapter, he tells them, even though I don't know you're here, I'm still going to stay faithful to you. I'm still going to walk in your path, even though I don't feel you anymore. And then you, as you read the end of the book of Job, you see that the, God begins to bless him again and his relationship with him grows. But there are going to be days where you're not going to feel the presence of God. And that doesn't mean he's not there. It doesn't mean that he's given up on you. It doesn't mean he's left you behind. I want you to understand today that if you're a follower of Jesus, God goes with you tomorrow wherever it is you're going. And not only does God go with you, but God is working in you. Even when you don't feel it, even when you're trying to get away from him, God is working in your life to bring you closer to him, to make you more of the person that he wants you to be. That's what growing in godliness is all about. It's about God doing his work in us. Now, the second quality that I think that if we're supplementing our faith with godliness that we'll begin to see growing in our life is a fear of God's power. A fear of God's power. Now, there's a ton of fear God verses in the Bible. Let me, I'm just going to read two to you. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And then Deuteronomy 10, 12, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. I told you a while ago, I grew up in church. These verses confused the daylights out of me when I was a kid. Because I grew up, you know, what do you hear when you're little in church? What do you hear? Do you hear fear God, he should be feared? No, what do you hear when you're real little in church? What? Huh? Yes, y'all didn't hear it as loud as I did in my church. I heard a lot louder in my church. Jesus loves you. That's what I heard. God loves you. God is love. Jesus loves the little children. Jesus loves you. That loves me. This I know. And then all of a sudden, one day you're reading the Bible and it's like, "Be afraid. Be very afraid." Right? All in the middle of God loves you. Fear God. It was confusing as a child. It was hard to figure out. How do I fear? Why am I supposed to fear something that I'm in love with? Because <coughs> when I was a kid, there were three things that I was really afraid of. I was afraid of the dark. It's pretty normal. I was afraid of somebody breaking in our house in the dark. And I was afraid of a tarantula crawling on my bed like happened to Peter Brady in Hawaii on the Brady Bunch. And 
um, I would lay in bed at night and I would try to go to sleep with my knees up thinking that the tarantula would not be able to crawl up my legs, that he would fall down. And you know, you can't fall asleep with your, you know, eventually your legs start falling apart and it, it wakes you up. And I would lay there for, I don't know, it seemed like hours. It probably wasn't that long. But I was afraid of those things. Now, now <clears throat> here's the deal about those three fears. Those three fears were all irrational and unrealistic. There was nothing for me to be afraid of in the dark. And, and really, the neighborhood we lived in, I never heard of anybody's house getting broken into in the middle of the night while people were laying in their beds sleeping. We lived in a nice neighborhood, so there, I didn't need to be afraid of that. And we don't even have tarantulas in South Carolina. That happened in Hawaii on a TV show. And so, so there was nothing to be afraid of. So I had these irrational fears in my life. And so when I thought about fear, I thought about those fears, and then I would read where it said, fear God, and I thought all that was the same kind of thing. But, but fearing God is not fe- uh, uh, an irrational fear, not an unrealistic fear. Fear of God is we are fearing God because of His, his power. But that, that we, and, it, and it's not necessarily a fear like you're afraid of the dark or afraid of a horror movie or afraid of a tarantula. It's fear which means a healthy respect to stand in awe of what He can do. And so we are fearing Him because he is so powerful and we understand his power and, and we, we don't want to get on the wrong side of that power, that we want to respect that. Um, I prepared this message before I knew my parents were going to be here today, but I'm going to tell you something about growing up in our household. And they could have heard this by listening to podcasts. I'm not saying anything I wouldn't have said if they weren't here. But when I grew up, I never got spanked by my dad. Um, now, I, there's a story that's told that when I was real young that Daddy tells, but if this, I don't remember, I was like three or something, that he had to wear my tail out one time because I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. But, but, I, but, but to my knowledge, from the time I can remember, <clears throat> I never got spanked by my dad. Now, my mom would, would hit me with a wooden spoon in the back of the leg, sometimes in the kitchen if she had one close by and I was smarting off, right? Now, did, is, was that because... My dad didn't believe in spanking, and my mom did, and they had some kind of parental you know, dysfunction that they hadn't agreed on how to discipline us. No, it wasn't that. Was it because my mom was just mean, and my dad was really nice and super cool? No, it wasn't that either. Uh, the, the, what happened was, as I looking back on it, I realized it, is that when dad was home, and another thing about my mom was, my mom was not one of those moms that said, wait till your dad gets home. Um, because she believed in just taking care of business right then in the kitchen with a wooden spoon if needed to be taken care of. And, uh, and by the way, I think, I don't know how y'all are, but that, moms, that's a good way to be, because the last thing we want to do as dads is get home, and the first thing we have to do, hey, you've got to beat this child right here. You weren't here today, but they're waiting on a beating from you. So that's a terrible way to start the day off, right? Um, so, but anyway, so, so I never, but I didn't get spanked by my dad, and here's why, looking back on it is I didn't do anything that deserved a spanking when daddy was home or when daddy was around because I didn't want to get spanked by my dad. Not because he walked around saying, boy, when I spank you, you're going to be missing an eyeball. Nothing like that. But because of the fact that he was a man, and I knew how bad it hurt when I got hit with a wooden spoon in the back of the leg by my mama, the last thing I wanted was daddy to go at me with a wooden spoon or a belt or something like that. So, So there was a, for me, there was a, respect there was a fear of what could happen if I crossed the line and my dad had to tear up my tail 
And so there was a, a fear of that power. Even though I'd never personally seen that power, I'd never been standing there watching my dad spank some random kid before, but I just knew I bet it would be bad. If, if I push daddy, daddy is the most patient guy ever, but if I push him over the line, I bet it would be bad news. I would be missing an eyeball at the end of that. I don't want to do that. So I, I had that healthy fear, that respect for his power. And that's what, that's, that's a, a human example, but that, that's what I'm talking about when it comes to a fear of God's power. <clears throat> we get to the point to where we're so aware of the power of God that it helps us when we live daily life that, that we know there are certain things, there are certain lines we don't want to cross. Not because we're afraid God's going to zap us, but because we respect that power. It, the, the, uh, David, again, in the Psalms, writes this. Psalm 33, 8 and 9. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. Why? For He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. We, we serve the God who, with by just saying words, created all of this. So if he wanted to, by just saying words, he could take all this away. That kind of power needs to be respected. That kind of power should be feared. That kind of power should be something we stand in awe of. And too often times, I think, we live life and we just kind of cruise through and we don't have a fear of the power of God. We think that we just make our decisions and God's just waiting at the end and he's kind of tallying it up and he's going to weigh a scale and say, oh, you are better than you were bad, come on into heaven. But it doesn't work like that. It's not the way he keeps score. So if we're supplementing our faith with godliness, we should have a sense of God's presence, we should have a fear of God's power. And as we begin to do those two things, there's one more thing that I think will grow naturally in us. And, and this, is, this is a, um, to me, this is a gift that God gives us as, as we continue to live a godly lifestyle. If we continue to live a godly lifestyle, we will begin to have a confidence in God's provision. We'll begin to have a confidence in God's provision. Just a while ago, we prayed for our, our offering, and, and we talked about how the fact that everything we have comes from God. And we really do serve a God who's given us everything we own. And <clears throat> I know you work hard, I work hard. We try to earn things, we try to, try to work hard to get ahead, to have a little more, to be able to give some to our kids, our grandkids. But even all those things, even the ability to work hard, that comes from Him. And as you read through the Scripture, you see plenty of verses about God's presence being with us. You see plenty of verses about having to fear God because of His awesome power. And you also see plenty of verses that promise that, to be, that God provides us things. I, I looked through, and I didn't even look hard, and, and I found verses where, where God promises to provide us with food and to provide us with clothing and to provide us with shelter and to provide us with peace and to give us the Holy Spirit to guide us through this life. And most of all, <clears throat> to provide us with forgiveness and to provide us with a home to live in in heaven. As we, as we continue to to live life every day. I understand that when you walk out of here today, that you're going to have stuff bombarding you from every side. You're going to have things come up this week that you didn't even expect, and you're going to have some things come up this week that you are expecting, and you're not looking forward to them. And it's difficult to think about 
godliness and to think godly thoughts and to think about supplementing your faith with all of this stuff. And I want you to know that what we're doing together as we do this is we're on a long journey. You, you can't decide today and then by Friday come to me and say, hey, guess what, Cliff? Got that supplementing with godliness down. It took me about five days, but I knocked that out. Let's move on to the next one. It doesn't work that way. We're all on a journey together. And we're trying to walk together. We're trying to be the best followers of Jesus we can together so that we can make an impact on this community and make a difference in the lives of people who need him. So as we get ready, we're going to sing a couple more songs. And as we close out together today, I want you to walk out of here today encouraged, encouraged and understanding that God is at work in your life, that, that if, if you are supplementing your faith with godliness, that he is going to provide with, for you, he is going to, to be in your life, you're going to be able to sense his presence, and you are going to be able to understand his awesome power. So let's pray together. Father God, thank you for being real and being at work. And thank you for giving us an opportunity to follow you and giving us a responsibility to supplement our faith with these good things. And as we get ready to, to leave here in just a few moments, as we get ready to, to enter into the work week and all the things that, that we're going to encounter, I pray that, that we would be very aware that your presence goes before us, that we're not going to encounter anything that's going to take you by surprise, and that we have an opportunity this week to do more than live, that we have an opportunity to make a difference. And so as we leave here now, in just a little bit, I pray that we would walk out in power and in love, and in excitement. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.